couple more announcements. So you heard about Sunday school. We'll have a Sunday group starting up on Sunday, January 8th. And also on January 8th, we're going to do the seminar after church called Connect Deeper. And this is for anyone who is considering a formal membership in the church, in Discovery Church. And But it's also for anyone, even if you don't want to become a member and you're not a member and you're not sure, I would invite you to come because this is where we learn more about the Church of the Nazarenes, our beliefs and what we consider essential and what is not essential. And we will have a light lunch, so it'll be a it'll be a fun time, maybe a little boring, but it'll be fun. We'll talk about the ins and outs of the church. Uh, and sometimes people don't want to formally join a church and that it's okay. I would still invite you to come so that we can get to know each other a little better. Um, and as a reminder, we will be having a Christmas Eve service here on Saturday, Christmas Eve. We will be out there. And if you are able, try to park on this side. Unless you want to come early, you can park on this side. And if you need the handicapped spots, park on this side. But otherwise, try to park on this side because we'll be having the service in there. And if the doors keep opening, it could get kind of drafty. Um, and invite your friends and family. And lastly, we, we, we have some Christmas cards out in the fellowship area. There's a box with names. So people bring Christmas cards. So check out there. See if there is a box or a a folder for you and Christmas cards. We don't want to be left at the end of the season with lots of cards with your name on them. So check to see if there are cards for you. And we have some cookies out there. Austin and I made some cookies. I think Lori made cookies. I think B made cookies. So we have lots of cookies out there. So we'll have a fellowship time after church and enjoy some cookies. And also, I heard from several people this past week about last week's sermon. For those of you who weren't here, it was on patience, and I heard from several of you, at least five or six, about how that message spoke to you individually, and what I'm realizing is there are a lot of people here that need patience, and I am also one of them. I was at Walmart on Tuesday, and I was walking behind this lady who was in the middle of the aisle, and she I couldn't get past her on the right, and I couldn't get past her on the left. And if you remember, my voice was kind of sore, so I couldn't really get her attention. And so I'm sitting there, like, debating, do I go around? How do I get around her? I need mean, I know where I'm going. I just need to go right there. And then I remembered the sermon on patience. <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah, patience. And so I was reminded of that again and again about how when we grow in patience, we grow in Christ-likeness, and maybe I don't need to be in such a hurry. I often feel like I'm in a hurry. And so today, today we are going to be reading from the Gospel of Matthew, continuing our sermon series on Let Us Adore Him. And if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to grab it. And if you don't have your Bible, there are plenty of Bibles in the seats in front of you. And so we're going to be reading today a familiar story. But it's a story that I think has become almost too familiar. Sometimes when we hear a story so often, it becomes too familiar that we forget what it's even about. And so today we're going to be reading the story of Christmas, the story of Jesus's birth according to Matthew. The majority of Americans celebrate Christmas. I was reading a statistic this past week that 93% of Americans celebrate Christmas. And I'm guessing that everyone in this room 
has heard the Christmas story once or twice before, but I wonder, are we so familiar with the story that we have forgotten what it's all about? This past week, on Thursday, my daughter had a, had a school performance um, at her school. The third graders did a performance, and they shared about the different cultural traditions, and her class shared the story about how Mary and Joseph were searching for an inn, and this became a tradition in the Spanish cultures where they go door to door looking for a place in the inn. And so I'm guessing if we were to ask people in Canastota or Oneida or Rome or Chenango, if they've ever heard the name Jesus or Mary or Joseph before, I'm guessing that the majority would have heard those names before. They might be familiar with those names, but do they know what the story is all about? And we know what the story is all about. Or are we so familiar with the story that we've forgotten what it's all about? Have you ever played the game telephone before? Where you tell someone, you whisper in their ear a story or a phrase and they pass it down. We could probably try this right now. But whenever I play the story, by the time it gets to the end, it changes just enough that it's not the same story. And so today we're going to go right to the source. We're going to go right to the Bible. And so turn with me to Matthew 1, 18, 20, 18 through 25. Hear the word of the Lord today. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This past weekend, some of us went caroling, and I've been to a couple of different caroling events, and this morning we heard from the children singing some Christmas carols. Was that, was that nice? I think they did a pretty good job. I'm always surprised by the number of children that show up and how dedicated they are. But I must confess something to you all about Christmas carols. I must confess that sometimes I question the theological integrity of some of the songs that we sing. For example, the song Silent Night. The song Silent Night is, according to some sources, one of the most popular Christmas songs of all time. That has ever been recorded. According to one source, it's been copyrighted. 
the copyrighted recordings of over 733 times, which is more than double the number two song, Joy to the World. And every time I hear that song, I think to myself, was it really silent? Was it really a silent night? <laughs> I've had a couple children, and I, I don't think that it was silent. Or how about away in the manger? It says, the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. What baby doesn't cry after they're born? That's usually when you get concerned when they're not crying. And so I tend to think that there may have been some crying, but maybe that just doesn't make for very good song lyrics. I still love these songs, so don't get mad at me. I'm not saying these are bad songs. We'll be singing Silent Night on Christmas Eve. But I often think, even looking around at the different nativity scenes, we have three or four around the church. And they're all clean and crisp with angelic faces and resting animals and a clean stable. And sometimes I think that our familiarity with this story, we've started to sanitize the story. It's a story that is full of messiness, the messiness of humanity, like crying or screaming, swollen feet. And sometimes I think we've forgotten about the noise and messiness of this story. Jesus Jesus entered humanity in a fully human way. He was born as a baby. And it wasn't an ideal situation. If you still have your Bibles handy, you might notice that Matthew begins with a genealogy. And it's not a genealogy that one might be proud of. It's full of scandal and messiness. In this genealogy, you'll notice that there are four women listed. And this is rare for a patriarchal culture to mention women in a genealogy, and there are four women listed, and these four women are all Gentiles. And so this is a Jewish genealogy that has four female Gentiles listed. And so this is rare. It mentions Rahab and Tamar, who are both Canaanites, Ruth, who was a Moabite, and Bathsheba, who was a Hittite. This is not a clean genealogy, and if you know the stories of Tamar, and Rahab and Bathsheba, you know that this is not a clean story. It's downright scandalous. There's a bit of sex scandals in here. And Ruth, she was a Moabite. Did you know that according to Jewish law, in Deuteronomy 23.3, it was considered unclean for a Moabite to enter into a Jewish family. Deuteronomy 23.3 says that no Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even to the tenth generation. But Ruth, the Moabite, she enters into the assembly of the Lord. And I know we recently heard a sermon series on Ruth from Pastor Ralph. But this is a messy story, and it gets messier. Because Joseph is pledged to be married to Mary, and Mary becomes pregnant. And so the right thing to do, according to the law, would be to divorce her publicly. Joseph was a righteous man who wanted to follow the law, but he didn't want to embarrass her or worse, get her killed. Because if he were to divorce her publicly, she would go to trial and she could be subject to being stoned because she was pledged to be married, but she was found to be pregnant. And who's going to believe the story that it was the Holy Spirit? And so this is a difficult decision for him to make. He's filled with love and compassion, but he's also righteous. He doesn't want to take a woman who's pregnant with another person's child. So what is he to do? How would you handle this situation? Would you divorce her publicly? 
or quietly. And so he had in his mind to divorce her quietly. He didn't want to shame her, but he didn't think that he could stay with her. Again, what would you do in this situation? Mary's pregnancy is scandalous. Her circumstances are shameful to the outside eye, and it's especially shameful for her husband to be. But Joseph, after hearing from the angel of the Lord, he trusts the Lord and takes Mary as his wife and Jesus as his son. He doesn't leave them hanging, but he doesn't exactly follow the law. He follows the way of love. And when it says that Joseph named Jesus in the scriptures, that's a sign that he's adopting Jesus. He's officially taking on that role of father. And so today we lit the candles for love. The entire gospel message can be summed up with love. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Love comes to us in the form of a baby, a baby named Jesus. Of all, all the other religions, and I don't know them all, but I can't think of any that use a baby as a savior. Christianity is unique in this way. When we think about a savior, someone who is going to save us, a baby tends to be the last thing that comes to mind. Who would send a baby? How can a baby save us? Is there anyone more vulnerable than a baby? A baby requires human participation. A baby requires nurture and care. A baby is dependent upon its caretakers. So why did Jesus come to us as a baby? There's nothing more helpless or fragile or dependent than a baby. Is there any other religion so bold as to admit to the possibility of its God becoming so vulnerable that it shows up in the form of a baby? How can a baby save us? In the Gospel of Luke, when Mary learns that she's pregnant, she sings a song. It's in Luke 1, 46 through 55. Mary says, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary's song is full of humility. It's a song about a God who lifts up the lowly and sends the rich away empty. It's a song about a God who is so humble that he comes to us in the form of a baby. He doesn't need to come to earth with power and might because that's the way the world solves the problems. God saves the world through love and humility. Christ humbled himself by taking on the form of a baby. There's a lot of humility in being helpless. There's humility in asking for help. When Christ came as a baby, it required human help and trust. 
Do you remember last week when I mentioned the Pax Romana? The Pax Romana, which means Roman peace, was a slogan in the ancient Roman world. It was a 200-year period of peace, peace that was enforced by Roman rule. They ruled by power and might. They ruled by sword. It was a highway or the highway kind of ruling, and if you rebelled against the rules, you got crucified. They kept you in line by power and might, but that's not God's way. God's way is the opposite. God's way of peace is by entering the world as a tiny baby. It doesn't make sense to our modern minds. As I was studying this week, I came across this quote from Carl Bryan, a theologian. He said, Jesus gave us a new and paradoxical definition of God, a definition of the humility of God. Many people were offended. They wanted a God of glory, not entering the world at the bottom, not from a despised place like Nazareth in Galilee, but he must come from the top. He must be proper introduced by the right people and have the appropriate protocol. But instead, the people got a man from Nazareth and he was only prepared to give them a message of the humility of God, of the identification of God with the people and things that don't count for very much in this world. He carried his message of God to the extreme, driving the humility of God all the way to the cross. So what does this message mean for us today? What can we learn from the Christmas story today? I think that if we're going to follow in Christ's likeness, we can follow the example of Jesus. Jesus wasn't afraid to enter the mess. Jesus wasn't afraid to meet people where they are at. Jesus wasn't worried about his reputation or what others might think. Jesus just walked with humility. Jesus is is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus didn't flee from the complicated feelings or situations. Instead, he entered into them. We can learn a lot about humility through Christ. It's not about power or position. The way of Christ is laying down that power and position for the sake of others, for the sake of love. Today, we lit the candle for love. Love is is at the heart of the Christmas story here today. Love is motivated. Love motivated God to give up heaven for humanity, to become Emmanuel, God with us. The story of Christmas reminds us that there is no distance, that God wouldn't travel to be with us. The love of God seeks us out where we are. God's desire is to be with us because we are loved. We are reminded to love the people of the world, because God so loved us. Just as Christ loved us in our own mess, we are to also love others in their mess. The Christmas story is a story about hope and anticipation, and it's ultimately bathed in the love of God. We trust God because God loves us. The story of Christmas is one that doesn't run from conflict and pain, in humanness, but it embraces all the mess of humanity with love. We are loved no matter the mess we are in, whether it be of our own making or someone else's making. Or maybe it's even mess that has been created because we are seeking to be faithful to God 
and the people around us just don't see the full picture. God is present with us even in the midst of it all. So on this final Sunday of Advent, we look ahead with the knowledge that we are loved by God. We have hope in the face of uncertainty because we are loved by God. No matter where we are, no matter what lies ahead, this is the heart of the message. That for God so loved the world, that he sent his son into our messes, that we might know and be known by him. Thanks be to God. Today, we don't have a closing song, but we do have cookies. <laughs> and so I will close in prayer and leave you with a final benediction. Lord, I thank you for these people, for the children here today. Lord, I thank you for entering our world as a baby, as a child. Lord, you showed us the way of humility. You showed us what it means to meet people where they are at, Lord. And I pray today that we will go out of here and that we will follow your way, that we will meet people where they are, that we will show them the love of Christ, the love that you extended to us, I pray that we will show that to others and they will see the light of love in us and through us, Lord. And I pray a blessing over this fellowship time with the cookies, Lord. I pray that it will be fruitful in conversation and fellowship, Lord. And I give all the thanks to you for all you do for us. We give all the thanks to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now receive this final blessing and benediction. May you know that you are loved by God. May you love others with the same love and humility that Christ extended to you. May love draw God near to you, even in the mess, even in the midst of the messiness of life. May you be motivated by the love of Christ for others. Go in peace today, friends.